Good morning, good morning. How are you? It's Brenda Eshen Shoshana back with another episode of Zen Wisdom for Your Everyday Life. Wisdom. What is wisdom? Wow, that is a word that is so loaded, 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 loaded. We think we go to books, we study, we we search, we go to school, we listen to others. Maybe we even listen to podcasts. <laughs> We're trying to get something that we don't have. That's what we think. We're trying to get something from the outside world, the seemingly outside world. We're trying to absorb it, to digest it, to grow, to be smart, to know where am I? What is this world? The flux, the chaos. How do I navigate my way through it in the best possible manner? That's a koan, of course. But these are questions that that we all grapple with. That's the nature of our being and the nature of the world. It feels like we're kind of thrown in. It's called thrownness in the existential philosophy. We're thrown in to a situation or into a relationship or into a moment that we're amazed by. We're confused. We're bewildered. We're fascinated, maybe, or intoxicated. Many, many, many ways to react to our everyday life. And we want wisdom. We want guidance. We want it from our parents. We want it from our teachers, from our friends. And we keep looking somehow for some kind of role model or some kind of ideal figure who seems to have it. They know it, they have it, and I don't. That's the underlying subtext, the underlying theme. They have the answers and I don't. Now that is a huge, persistent illusion. It's an illusion, I promise you, (laughs) because we all live that, and we try again and again to find our ideal teacher, our ideal figure, someone we can look up to, a role model, some book, some, some philosophy, some religion, whatever, some science, we're searching. And sometimes we find, no question, we find answers, we read something, we're thrilled, ah, this is it, ah, that's so exciting, we love it, we read it, we absorb it, and, and it's useful often, but it fades away, doesn't fill that hungry spot within our heart. It's not quite enough, or it's not quite it. Not exact. Well, the person that we've looked up to so much and actually idealized so much, they disappoint us. Why? Because they're human beings. They're human. They have flaws in our eyes. These are flaws. And a flaw only means that they didn't meet our expectations. That's what a flaw is. We had a picture of them. We had a hope for them. And they didn't fulfill that. So maybe we'll judge them. We'll complain. We'll say how we've been so bitterly, bitterly disappointed. Or we've been so deceived. You hear that all the time. Oh, my gosh. I was so betrayed or deceived. Maybe you were. That experience is real, but you were not deceived by the person. You were deceived by your own images, your own 
false expectations, your own inner demands that they fulfill your picture of what this ideal person looks like or should look like or must look like to make you happy. That is not wisdom. That is not the truth. It's a nubby road that we travel on and fall into many potholes on, unfortunately. You know, in certain scriptures, in the Hebrew scripture in particular, we see stories of very flawed people. And we're shocked. I I used to be so shocked when I would read about this. Well, why is this in the scripture, someone like this, who might have done really really negative or or what seems negative or very upsetting things. Well, why are they here? And the answer finally came, oh, I see why. Because their flaws are something that are in my eyes and something that I have to understand my humanity, their humanity more deeply. And because our image of perfection, our craving for some kind of idealistic perfection is constantly rebutted, not only by the scriptures, but by life itself. Life itself, Joko, a wonderful Zen master, would say, life itself is the only teacher. I love that statement. I still dwell with it. Life itself, just as it is, is the only teacher. It comes and wipes away your expectations or your false beliefs. They're false because they're not grounded. They're not based in reality, in the root, in the truth of life. So we may say, well, is the truth of life that I'm going to always be disappointed and everyone has something wrong with them? And I say, absolutely not. That's not wisdom and that that's not the truth. Go deeper. Zen practice says, go deeper. Sit more. Edoroshi would always say, sit more. So you can see what he meant was so you can see for yourself. Taste for yourself. Know for yourself. The wisdom you crave and you do need is right with you every moment. If you are willing, that's a very big word here, willing to receive it. We receive so much in life. You know, we receive the morning, we receive breakfast. We receive a shower, we receive a cup of coffee, very precious gifts for our everyday life. These are wisdom itself. (laughs) When we receive it, just receive it with an open heart and open mind, grateful gratitude, gratitude for the moment, for the experience. Grateful heart is wisdom. But we don't receive our life and our experiences and our friends, our beloveds. We don't receive. We judge them. We compare ourselves to this, to that, to this day, to that day. We're always comparing and contrasting. One's better than the other and I have to be better too. On and on and on. That's the mind. We call it in Zen the monkey mind. Restless mind. Endlessly 
interfering, endlessly chiming in, <laughs> chiming in, endlessly demanding the monkey mind. It's there. It's always there. But it does not have to rule the day. That is wisdom. That the monkey mind does not rule the day. It does not rule your life. It does not rule your experience. It can become in the foreground loud and dominate you. Or it can become like a child's whisper and echo that arises and falls. And, and we don't pay much attention. We certainly don't ascribe wisdom to the monkey mind. It just... It's just the monkey. It's just like a little, a little tiny. Actually, little monkeys are very cute, popping around. They're cute. That's enough. There they are. They have no this monkey mind, which is interfering, judging, warning, threatening. It's it, it's out of control. That does not mean that you are out of control. No, you're not. It does not mean that your root is is much deeper than that. That, that the mind that you can access, the knowingness that you have access to, the wisdom, is way beyond that monkey mind, way beyond. And when you stop dwelling with the monkey mind, listening to it, believing it, going on the ride that it's going to take you on, when you just stop that, which is what we do in Zazen, we just stop that. Then the gates open, the gates open to the vastness, to the beauty of life, to your own strength and your inner innate knowingness, knowingness. That is your real wisdom, your knowingness, which is always, always within you and, and a part of you. Can't be taken away. It can only be blocked out by the noise, the madness, the, the distraction, what you pay attention to, what you allow to take over and dominate your life. It's you allowing that. <coughs> you know, it's a very big and beautiful moment when we see, oh my goodness, when the monkey mind, sometimes it just quiets down by itself. Of course, it pipes up again, but it quiets down. And then we see, oh, my goodness, that's not it. That's not who I am. That's not the truth. And that's the first taste or a taste. There are many tastes which show us, let's, let's sit, as Edo said, sit more, which just means let's go deeper. Let's listen, listen to the silence, let's enter the gate. There's a great book of Zen koans called the Mumankan, which is the gateless gate. That's what it translates to. Or the, we have in my little house here, my apartment, the gateless Zendo. No gates. <laughs> I love that. Edo gave me that, the gateless Zendo. What is that? What is the gateless zendo? What does it mean, no gates? It means no obstructions. It means we don't need a gate. Everything is open, available right here. We're not blocking anything out with a gate. We're not locking anything in. We're just sitting in the 
wisdom of who we are, the knowingness, the openness. As we do that, words really don't fill the bill. The monkey mind grabs onto words like a monkey would grab onto a peanut. Boom! The monkey mind wants to grab our thoughts and our feelings. It just grabs it, takes it over. But when we're in, when we have somehow begun to go through the gateless gate, the monkey mind is way down the road. It's not there. Or if it's there, it's not dominating. It's not in the forefront. It's as we go further and further through the gateless gate. It's the monkey mind's power. It's it's even its restlessness begins to fade away. How wonderful. How beautiful. We need that now. We need to enter the gateless gate now very, very badly. This doesn't mean that we don't have boundaries in our life. Of course we have boundaries. We have to. It doesn't mean we're not also in the relative world that we don't make appropriate distinctions when necessary. Of course we do. We must. That's also practice. That's also Zen practice. To see something just as it is. Not as we are demanding it be or pretending it is or imagining it is. This so-called imagination is dangerous because it's another layer of clouds that distract us, that prevent almost, if we go with it, from walking through the gateless gate and enjoying that enjoying our time there. You know, a very long time ago, in keeping with this, there was someone in my life that I, oh my God, I just idealized. I put all my fantasies upon that person. They were perfect. They were excellent. Everything I wanted to be, blah, blah, blah. And we all do that. Sometimes I still do it, but in a much milder context. Much milder. Because when, I, when you know who you are, you don't have to do that. However, I did that very strongly. And then I found out something very distressing about that person, which was secret. And it came out, and I found out, and I was shocked and upset. Like, and that happens to many, many of us. And I said to my dear Zen friend at the time, how in the world? I loved him so much. How could he have done this to me? And my friend said, he didn't do anything to you. And you didn't love him. You loved your fantasies about him. When you can see everything there is about a person and still love them. That is love. Whoa, I still remember the moment he said that. We were standing on, on a mountaintop together. And the wind was blowing and I almost passed out at the power and beauty and truth of that statement. It, it actually was what we call a turning word for me. It turned something deeply around. And from then on, it became very important to me to understand 
what love really was. And you could say love or wisdom or knowingness, what life, what the gateless gate, where it, <laughs> where it was, is planted in love and deepens our love as we walk through it. These words are just words and they're interchangeable. That love and that knowingness and that, we call it also karuna, great compassion. It's more than compassion. It's a real feeling of oneness with all in all of their various manifestations. Not a rejection, not discarding anything, not comparing yourself with anyone. Just one just love or just present is maybe the best way of putting it. Just fully present to whatever arises and to whatever then moves on. So it was wonderful talking to you today. I see our time is is coming to an end for today. Thank you very, very, very much for listening. And thank you so much for your many emails this week. We have so many, and I appreciate them. I enjoy them. And I would lo- love to hear, if you feel like writing to me, my email is topspeaker at yahoo.com. The URL for the podcast is www.zenwisdomtoday. And, and I wish you all a very beautiful day. Bye-bye.